got busted open. It was a nasty ending to something that began so well. The story of Stephen in the book of Acts, it starts out beautifully as well. If you were to read the whole story, all of chapter 6 and chapter 7, you'd find that this man, Stephen, he was very special. He was one of the seven chosen to be the very first officers in the church, in the infant church. And he was perfect for the job, according to the book of Acts. Full of grace and power, Acts says, able to do great wonders and signs. I mean, he could pray like an angel. He could preach like a biblical scholar. But then his story begins to go terribly wrong. He's brought up on charges, false charges. He's hauled in front of a religious council, and there in front of that council, he has to defend himself on capital charges, the capital charge of blasphemy. And while Stephen speaks words of faith and and hope and love and innocence, the rage and the hatred of that crowd, man, they take over. Stephen is hauled out of town. He is killed with stones, a nasty ending to something that began so well. You know, it happens more than we'd like to admit. It happens more than we prefer to dwell upon. A promising career ends up 15 years down the road at a dead end or downsized. A hopeful young marriage becomes, as the years go on, an exercise in, well, coexistence. Young parents with such grand dreams for their children actually wake up one morning to find apathetic or troubled young adults where those precious toddlers used to be. And students, students of every age, begin each semester with bright ideas about how successful they're going to be. But by this time of the semester, as finals are rolling around and projects and papers are due, well, You know, they just kind of try and get by. Truthfully, no matter how talented or capable or full of potential we might be, no matter how perfect and healthy our families might be, and no matter how influential and successful our church might be, the day comes when the unexpected shockingly transpires or the expected doesn't materialize at all. And there we are, thinking, this isn't how things were supposed to turn out. How did this happen? There we are, confused and surprised, thinking, what a nasty ending to something that began so well. I'll bet you've been there. I bet you've asked these questions yourself. And I'll bet... Someone you love has been there and asked these questions. Maybe, maybe you, your family, or those you really care about, maybe they are there today asking tough questions. Questions about rejection. Questions about disappointment. About suffering or pain or or beautiful expectations that just get dashed on the rocks of the twists and turns of life. Well then, says the author of 1 Peter, good for you. Good for you. 
Because if you're asking these kind of questions, you're asking God-sized questions. You're asking questions that walk deep into the mystery of our Christian faith. So, says 1 Peter, bring those questions. Bring the disappointments or rejections, failures, even tragedies, says this author, and come, come to Jesus. Now, this is where the letter of 1 Peter actually becomes a sermon, a rather powerful sermon. And the author of this letter, like any good preacher, he begins to tell a story. He says, imagine with me for a moment, just imagine, okay, that you are watching a stonemason, a really, really talented stonemason, and he's standing in front of a huge pile of raw building material, He's examining these stones. It's a stack of neatly piled stones that have been specially chosen by his apprentices because they are perfect and they are good and they will build this building well. And the master craftsman is looking at these stones chosen for him and looking and looking Because he needs a very special one, one to lay the foundation of his masterpiece, his building. He looks, and he looks, and then he does the unthinkable. He leaves that pile of perfect stones, and he walks over to the rubbish pile, the pile where all of the rejected stones had been left by his helpers, stones that are cracked, Stones that are ugly, stones that are weak, too small, too long, too thin, too round. And it's into this pile, this pile of rejects that the master craftsman reaches and pulls out a stone. He takes it and he positions it as the cornerstone of his magnificent building. That, says First Peter, that is what God did in Jesus Christ. That, says First Peter, is the God we worship, a God who can handle any question or doubt or tragedy, a God who tells us we don't need to dodge the difficulties of life. We can walk boldly into such questions. We can walk boldly into pain. Why? Well, let's face it. Jesus' story didn't really turn out that well if you stop on Friday, did it? It actually ended rather badly on Friday. Yet our God, First Peter reminds us, took that rejection, took that disappointment, that tragedy, that sorrow, and he used it to lay a cornerstone of hope and life and redemption for you and me, for the church, for the world. Now that... That, says First Peter, is the work of a mysterious, subversive, creative, moving, and building God. Now, let me tell you, my friends, when this sermon was first heard, it wasn't just a pretty story about some imaginary stonemason to those early Christians. No, when they heard this, the church was facing its first real tragedy, its first real difficulty. 
The situation was changing with the Roman Empire and persecution was looming right on the horizon for the very first time. And they were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They were in despair. This isn't how it was supposed to be, they thought. Is this really all there is to the Christian life? Be this hard? Shouldn't it be easier, less dangerous? It wasn't supposed to be like this. It all started off so well. But the author of 1 Peter reminds them and us, God is on the move. And the same mysterious, subversive, creative building God that raised Jesus from the dead, making Jesus a living stone by resurrection, continues that subversive, creative building work with us, with our defeats, with our bad endings with our disappointments and rejections, our fear and pain. And not only that, God uses these things, raises and redeems these things, and can actually build something beautiful with them. In 1955, one of the best high school baseball players in the country was in the hill country of Texas, and his little baseball team went to the state finals his junior year. So his senior year, everyone was excited to see what might happen. Everyone. And in the very first game of his senior year with major league baseball scouts in the stadium, while he was fielding a ground ball right in front of second base, he ran into a 200-pound base runner. He was crushed, legs broken in three places, arm caved in, concussion. It took him months to recover. He did regain the use of his arms and legs, but he never played baseball again. His town was in mourning. He was devastated. It all started out so well. How could it end like this? Well, life went on, and there was no Major League Baseball for him, so he decided to go to college, first in his family to do so, and after college, decided to go to seminary, and after seminary, got ordained, came back to the Senate of the Sun, and spent an entire career working with young people, an entire career. By the time he retired, 24 young people that he had mentored were ordained Presbyterian ministers working in the church. What looked like a disaster and a disappointment was redeemed by God, raised by God to create an amazing opportunity for the gospel. At the tender age of 16, something happened to me that that broke my heart. My greatest joy in life at the time was singing. I sang all the time. I had not a great voice, but it was deep and rich, contralto, and in an all-girls choir, that was very important, as y'all know. So I sang in four choirs, and I sat through hours of rehearsal and performances every week without resting my voice, without caring for my vocal cords in any way, and well, bottom line, I quite literally ruined my voice. I was told by a doctor around the age of 16 that I had so many large nodes on my vocal cords, I would never sing again. And I was absolutely inconsolable. It was in my young life and my limited way of thinking, such a tragedy. But it was. 
But I had to protect my voice. I wanted to be able to speak. And so I began speech therapy. Hours and hours, years of speech therapy, learning to support my voice so that I wouldn't put strain on my vocal cords, learning to project, learning to speak over the nose and under the nose, learning how to speak clearly and distinctly so that my nodes would not get in the way of my speaking. Life went on without any singing, but guess what? Wherever I go to speak, no matter how bad the acoustics or lacking the amplification, guess what people stop to tell me? I can really hear you. I can really understand you. Who knew? God took that disappointment of that 16-year-old girl and redeemed it and raised it and made me useful in a way that I would have never dreamed or imagined. So, says the author of 1 Peter, come to him, a living stone rejected by humans, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Come to our God, says this ancient sermon. A sermon which is really for you and for me and for the church today. Come to the one who raised Jesus and who can raise us. Come and be built. Let your life be built. Let your family be built. Let this church be built. And watch out. Watch out. Because our building God is subversive and astounding and creative. And our God takes tragedy and question, disappointment and pain, and creates unexpected and undeserved beauty without our permission, disregarding our blueprints, not even asking for our understanding. And our God chooses building material that we would reject every time. Just look at this building material. A young girl with shot vocal cords. A young ball player with crushed limbs. A frightened little church huddled against the Roman Empire. And yes, even a tragic death of a godly, spirit-filled man named Stephen. Stephen, whose faith and witness electrified the early church and set a standard for Christian care that we still embrace. We call it what? Stephen ministry. Stephen died a holy death right there in front of that rascally old Pharisee named Saul. And I believe that began Saul's transformation into the amazing Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Friends, hear this ancient sermon and take heart. Because you are, by the mercy of God, each of you, living stones. Living stones, not perfect stones, you know, not stones without cracks or flaws, not stones without scars or burns, maybe not even the strongest and most beautiful, because that doesn't matter. You're living stones, raised from all of those things by a loving God, and you're raised not for your own peace, and contentment, but to be useful, 
useful in God's kingdom. And this church, by the mercy of God, is a living stone, a work in progress, being redeemed and painstakingly made useful by the master's hand for a new era of ministry, an era unlike anything Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church has experienced before. And it's okay because God is the builder of this spiritual house trustworthy and strong enough to bear the God-sized questions about our lives and our world, and able to lay a sure foundation here in this place for this new day and pushing us to be a foundation of hope and life and justice, not just for one another, but for this hurting world. Thanks be to God for such subversive, unexpected, creative building of you, of me, and of this church. Psalm 118 says it best when it says, I thank you that you have answered me, O God, that you have become my salvation, the stone that the builders rejected. It has become the chief cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing, and this is marvelous in our eyes. Alleluia. Amen.